welcome to Word Online. Hello and uh, welcome to The Life of Jesus, uh, Series 1 and Episode 5. The angelic announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. We're in Luke's Gospel. We're in Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading the passage very shortly. If you've been following the series, you'll know that after some introductory sessions, episodes, uh, where we looked at the opening statements of Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel, in the last episode, uh, we looked at the astonishing story of John the Baptist, um, who was going to be the prophet of Jesus and the amazing way that his birth was predicted uh, by an angel speaking to a man from the priesthood called Zechariah when he was in the temple concerning his wife Elizabeth who was going to have a child in her old age when she was beyond the age of natural childbearing. So something miraculous and powerful was happening in Israel at this time and John the Baptist and Jesus, their lives were going to be intertwined from the very beginning up until uh, John's death and even beyond that in terms of his influence. So as the story unfolds, we are awaiting John's birth. We hear in the last episode that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth return to their home in the Judean hillside. Um, Elizabeth finds herself to be pregnant uh, shortly after this, uh, she goes into seclusion uh, for a number of months. Uh, she's uh, in pregnancy, preparing for the birth of much-loved uh, and longed-for first child in her old age. So that's where the story leaves us, and we're waiting for Luke to tell us about the birth of John. But that story is intertwined with another significant story, in fact, an even more significant story, and so Luke brings in now the second story, which is the story of another couple, not Zechariah and Elizabeth, but Joseph and Mary. And so we're going to read this passage from Luke 1 in a moment, Luke 1 verse 26, and right the way through to verse 38. If you're familiar with a Christian story, you'll be familiar with this passage because it's frequently spoken of and read in connection with the celebrations of Christmas in the Christian faith. But nevertheless, we're going to read it in its original context as it's intertwined with the story of John the Baptist and the story of God breaking into Israel and preparing uh, the people for the coming of the Messiah. So let's read in Luke 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favour with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's take away the sentimentality of the context in which we sometimes hear this story if we're familiar with the Christian faith and its celebrations around Christmas time. Let's just take it back to its original context. Let's think for a moment about Mary and her situation. You see, Mary was engaged to be married. But two things are stated here unambiguously. She was engaged to be married, but she was a virgin. She had had no sexual relationships with Joseph or indeed any other man. This was the strict sexual ethical code of ancient Israel. Sexual relationships before marriage were out of the question in terms of their moral code, unlike many uh, liberal secular societies of today. Hence her very pointed question to the angel concerning how she could have a child in that particular time. Now engagement was a very strong commitment. It wasn't something that people entered into lightly. The absolute intention was to get married and it took a form of divorce to end an engagement. It was such a serious commitment. Both families prepared for the marriage day and the time when the wedding celebration took place and then the sexual relationship would start at that time. That was the custom that we're talking about in this particular context. Now, Mary and Joseph seem both to have lived uh, in their separate households uh, in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth is uh, in the northern uh, province of Israel, which we'll be very familiar with all the way through this series, and you'll hear much spoken about it, the province or area of Galilee. Galilee is a beautiful part of Israel. I've had the privilege of visiting it on many occasions. And on the eastern side of it is a beautiful inland lake, freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret, uh, which you will read about many times in the Gospels. Fishing industry was strong there. Agriculture was strong generally throughout Galilee and it was a place with small towns scattered around um, all over the countryside. Some rolling hills and some flat areas 
across the region of Galilee. And one of these little towns was Nazareth. Now, it really wasn't a, a significant place. Archaeology tells us that really only a few hundred people lived there at this particular time. Uh, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It clearly wasn't a significant town in the nation of Israel. It was a backwater, a quiet little sleepy town in the northern province of Galilee, far away from the centre of national life, much further south in the province of Judea and around the city of Jerusalem. I've had the privilege of visiting the modern Nazareth, which is much bigger, bustling community with several ethnic groups uh, mixed together, a Jewish section, an Arab section and others living there. But still it has the feel that it's not in any sense a special place in terms of the national life of modern Israel. It attracts tourists, but it's just one of many places. You see, Mary and Joseph were born in humble circumstances and they lived there. Nazareth was an insignificant place in the land. But the interesting thing is, uh, Luke has a tremendous amount of detail here. He's the only writer who gives this amount of detail and it looks as though his source is someone close to the events, either Mary or another member of the family or someone nearby who knew a lot about these events. And aren't they dramatic? It was very dramatic in the last episode when the angel Gabriel suddenly appeared in the temple to the priest Zacharias who was going about his routine duties. That was very dramatic. But here again, is another extremely dramatic moment. The same angel. Remember I said last time that only two angels are named in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel, and they have some seniority and some authority and they're given very major responsibilities. And here Gabriel brings perhaps the greatest message that could ever be brought, the message about the coming of Jesus. It was completely unexpected. Mary was overawed and surprised, troubled is the word used, uh, which describes a sense of emotional upset and uncertainty for all sorts of obvious reasons. What a shock. And what a message. Mary's going to be the mother of Jesus, who's going to be called the Son of the Most High and the Son of God. These are going to be his titles. He's going to be a unique human being. He's going to be following on from King David, verse 32. I'll give him the throne of his father, David. We'll talk about that in a moment. He'll have an eternal kingship over Israel. And Mary's going to give birth to uh, this baby Jesus before her marriage is consummated, before the wedding day, before any sexual relationship with Joseph. It's going to be a miraculous birth in a literal sense. It's going to be a virgin birth in a literal sense. The concept of virgin birth is a literal explanation or description of what is actually described here unambiguously in Luke. This was a pregnancy like no other in human history, without human father, without human male genetic contribution, a virgin birth. But we also find out that Mary's related to Elizabeth. We don't know the exact relationship, that she's a female relative. 
and the angel Gabriel tells her that Elizabeth, who Mary knew to be childless and much older than her and beyond the natural age of childbearing, she was going to have a special child as well. And so we see Mary's very wonderful, humble response. We can learn from this. Mary is held up as a great example in the church for all sorts of very good reasons. I am the Lord's servant, verse 38. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. She was humble. She was open. She was willing to be used by the living God for his purposes, even though it meant considerable risk to her for all sorts of obvious reasons. Social stigma, the risk to her marriage. What would Joseph do when he found out this uh, unbelievable story? Joseph knew nothing of what was going to happen. How would he respond? Mary had to calculate these things, but her greatest calculation was that God had sent a messenger to her and given her a unique responsibility and that her primary concern should be to fulfil the responsibility that God had graciously given her. Now I want to talk about three different significant aspects of this story in terms of Christian thinking, Christian theology and Christian understanding of the person of Jesus. Now as you're listening to this you may not be a committed Christian, you may come from another faith, you may be secular, you may be uh, inquiring. This is a great place for you to reflect uh, and perhaps to learn something from this passage because all of us need to be aware that Christianity is not about uh, Jesus as a moral teacher, a prophet, a healer, a kind and loving man. He was all those things and they're all absolutely wonderful and glorious. But this passage tells us that he was far more than all of those things put together. His very identity is revealed here in the narrative and in the message from the angel Gabriel. Let me say three things about the identity of Jesus. First of all, it says unambiguously that he will inherit the throne of his father David. Now what does this mean? King David was God's choice to be king of Israel about a thousand years before these events when the monarchy or the kingship of Israel was being established. There'd been a previous king, Saul, unsuccessful, chosen by the people, and after him, King David, very successful, chosen directly by God through his prophet Samuel. You can read the story in the Old Testament. But the interesting thing about David is that he wasn't just a successful king in his own time, although he was, despite some flaws and mistakes he made, which are very clearly stated. But there's something very significant about David. He was given a prophetic promise through the uh, prophet Nathan, a contemporary of David's, Nathan came to him once and prophesied that his dynasty, his succession in the monarchy, would continue after him 
and would be established by God as an eternal monarchy through which God was going to work. We see this in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, says God. Your throne will be established forever. We can read more fully by going to 2 Samuel 7 verses 11 to 16. They refer initially to King Solomon and then at the end of the passage is this wider prophecy of a permanent eternal monarchy or kingship. Now David's monarchy in fact um, faded out hundreds of years later when the nation went into exile and had never been restored. But that promise suggested that God was going to work through a successor of King David, a biological descendant of him, who was going to inherit this kingship and turn it into something much wider, much more powerful to bring God's rule on the earth. That's what we call the Davidic covenant, the monarchy covenant of Israel. And it was unfulfilled at the time of Jesus. People were looking around for a son of David, as they said. And you'll find that this term is used of Jesus uh, during his ministry, and we'll come to that in subsequent episodes. But here we find the angel unambiguously saying, Jesus is going to succeed David to the throne of God, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God that's going to spread to the whole world. It's a very, very exciting thought and one that we need to keep in mind because Jesus' opening message 30 or so years later when he started his ministry was uh, that the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was going to be that king. What sort of king he was going to be, we'll find out later on. But interestingly enough, both Mary and uh, Joseph were related to King David through their ancestry, as we discussed in uh, the previous episode when we looked at Matthew and Luke's account of the ancestry or genealogy of Jesus. So the first thing I want to say about Jesus' identity is that he's identified as the person who fulfills this promise to become the king who comes after King David and extends God's kingdom permanently. Second thing I want to say is that the fact of the virgin birth, the historical and the biological fact of the virgin birth, means that the uniqueness of Jesus is literally the fact that God himself brings about this birth through the human agency of Mary and her womb and her childbearing capacity. So here we see God and man coming together. We call it the incarnation, when God became man, when God took on human nature. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, existed eternally with his Father and with the Holy Spirit, three in one, three persons in one Godhead who have existed uh, before time, before the creation of anything, in all eternity. They've always existed. But Jesus did not take on humanity. He didn't become a man in a physical sense until this moment in history. It was a moment in time where Jesus, the Son of God, becomes a man in order to come alongside humanity, 
to identify with us and to set us free from our sin through his atonement and sacrifice in ways that we'll discuss in the future. So we have Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise to King David to have a permanent monarchy and throne. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who's fully human and fully God. And we also have another interesting point, the name of Jesus. We looked at the name of John, John the Baptist, in the last episode and saw some significance in his name. The name Jesus closely related to Joshua or Jeshua in Hebrew, means probably, literally, God saves. So here we are, right at the very beginning. We know what the ministry and the work of Jesus is. He's become a man in order to fulfill a mission. And that mission involves you and me. It extends to all humanity. You may be a believer as you are listening or viewing this episode. You may not be a believer in Jesus. You may not be a disciple of his, but you can come into that relationship with him as soon as you begin to realize he's more than a prophet, he's more than a teacher, he's more than a healer. He's actually the son of God. Come down, taking on human nature in this miraculous way that we have just described in which the angel prophesied. And we can enter into relationship with him through his death on the cross for us and his subsequent resurrection. So my reflections, as I just step back from this story and think, what does it teach us? How does it help us on the journey? First of all, it, let me say unambiguously, Christianity depends on the incarnation. Christians believe fundamentally that Jesus was a unique person combining deity and humanity, combining God and man together in one person in a miraculous way that we'll never fully understand. But which means that he is able to do two things. He's able to represent us as human beings towards his father, God the Father, in terms of our need of being set free from our sin. He's also able to represent his father to us. He's able to show us the will of the father. He's able to reveal God to us. He's able to warn us that we need to be reconciled with this God because he's a just God and he'll punish sin. But he's also able to represent us like a priest representing the people in the Jewish temple or in some other religion. He's described in the New Testament as a great high priest in the book of Hebrews who represents the people to God. So we have these two unique things happening in Jesus. He represents God to us and he represents us to God. He is the divine son of God combining humanity and deity. Another reflection from this passage would be to emphasise again Mary's outstanding character and faith. We can compare her with Zechariah in the previous episode. And if you listen to that episode, you'll know that Zechariah hesitated when the same angel Gabriel revealed to him uh, that his wife 
was going to have a child unexpectedly in her old age. And he found that just really hard to believe. Now, Mary's told something even more impossible, that she's going to have a baby without being in a sexual relationship or having a husband. And she believes simply. So her outstanding character and faith are rightly commended by Christians of various persuasions. This does not mean that Mary is without sin. Nothing in the New Testament suggests that. Or that we should worship her, or that she's an intermediary who stands between us and Jesus. None of those things are written in the Gospels, as we'll find out. But she is a very, very godly lady whose character we should admire and follow. Another reflection is that here's another of God's sudden interventions, just like we had with Zechariah and Gabriel in the last episodes. Here we have with Mary and Gabriel intervening here. There's a very intriguing prophecy in Isaiah 7 verse 14, which we're going to comment on more fully in a few episodes time, but I'll just read it very quickly. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew takes this to be a prophecy of Jesus, a virgin birth prophesied in the Old Testament. So something very miraculous is happening in this story. We mentioned in the last episode the significance of angels. They're very prominent in these early stories. We should respect the existence of angels, we should believe in their existence. They're not, it's not a fairy story, it's not a fantasy, it's a reality. But angels are not to be sought after, to be worshipped, uh, or to be manipulated by human beings, as is the habit of some groups. They're discreet, they're servants, and they work for God and they work on our behalf. And almost always their work is invisible and unseen. Here's just an occasional glimpse into the reality of their work in this narrative. My final comment is to go back to verse 37. I want to leave you with this thought at the end of this episode. The angel's final word to Mary was, for no word from God will ever fail. The primary reference of this passage is almost certainly to the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed towards the coming of the Messiah as a divine son of God. Now, I've given you an example, Isaiah 7 verse 14, which I'll, exp I'll explain more fully when we study it in the context of Matthew's gospel. But the prophecy of 2 Samuel 7, 16 is being fulfilled here as a king to follow David and take over his throne, so to speak, is being fulfilled. And so the angel is saying, no, no word of God will ever fail. What he promises in terms of his plan for humanity and our salvation will be fulfilled. That word isn't going to fail. The Jews had waited hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. Had God's word failed? No, it just wasn't the time yet. But now is the time. And this is the place from which we need to see the ever-expanding story of the life of Jesus. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode. 
You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.